So we've approached the problem of suffering every year I've been here as a youth director. Um, so I looked through all the other messages on the topic, and I wanted to bring tonight's topic from a different angle than what we've done in the past. Um, because for some of you, yes, this is your first year dealing with the problem of suffering, um, but for others, this might be the seventh. So I wanted to give you something a little bit different. Um, just in case you've missed a key component on suffering as a Christian, how we should suffer as Christians, and what to do with suffering as a Christian. So could, today I'm going to walk you through a history in, of thought in regards to suffering, how suffering fits into our world, and we will answer the question of how Christianity answers suffering, how being a Christian gives you much comfort, and how much hope in the midst of pain and trials. Next week or two weeks, we will specifically cover the apologetic or the defense of the faith in regards to suffering, answering the problem of evil. But I wanted to start with offering a different way, um, showing you the different ways that people approach suffering. Because before suffering is a philosophical problem, it is a personal crisis. We all would deal with suffering emotionally before we deal with it logically. So how do we deal with it? What are the options? And that is today. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to get into a world overview of how everyone views suffering. Father God, give us focus in the midst of big words and big topics, and help us see the, con- see the constellations amidst the stars. May we not get stuck in on one point, but may we see the big picture in the midst of the uh, really the painting that's being set before us. In your son's name I pray. Amen. So last week we talked about worldview, and today we're going to talk about suffering and how they're related. Well, your view of suffering is greatly influenced by the culture you're in. Your worldviews do not happen in a vacuum. We talked about that uh, last week and a couple weeks ago. What that means is that your view of reality does not happen independently of anything else. Your view of reality, your view of suffering, happens in the context of the culture that you're raised in. So we're going to look at the history of human responses to suffering. So you can see how our current questions regarding suffering are impacted by the culture, and hopefully how Christianity provides what I feel like is the most robust response to it. Let me chug water. It's still good, if you were wondering. Anthropologists, that's a big word, that is, those who study human cultures and civilizations often look hard into how people groups cope with suffering. Why? Because all people groups have viewed suffering as a real thing that needs to be dealt with. All of them. Sociologist Peter Berger writes, every culture has provided an explanation of human events that bestows meaning upon the experiences of suffering and evil. But how a culture answers the question has been vast and wide. And sociologists and anthropologists agree that our modern worldview of suffering is one of the weakest that has ever existed in all cultures. Why? Because modern society, outside of religious contexts, gives its members no explanation to suffering and little to no guidance of how to deal with it. The result today, we are more shocked by suffering than our ancestors. Think about it. Imagine a world 
that is not your own. In medieval Europe, approximately one in every five infants died before their first birthday. And only half of all children survived to the age of 10. So this would be a very small youth group if it was medieval Europe. Half of you would have already been dead. Okay? Um, most died in their parents' arms or were found dead by a sibling when they woke up in the morning. Life for our ancestors was filled with far more suffering than ours is. Yet, we have innumerable diaries, journals, and historical documents that reveal how they took that grief in far better stride than we do today. One scholar of ancient Northern European history observed how unnerving it is for modern readers to see how much more unafraid people 1,500 years ago were in the face of loss, violence, suffering, and death. Another said, that they were taken aback by the cruelty we see in our ancestors, they would, if they could see us, be equally shocked by our softness, our worldliness, and our timidity in regards to suffering. And it's not just our ancestors. It's our culture here in the USA compared to many other groups of people. Dr. Paul Brand writes, In the United States, I encountered a society that seeks to avoid pain at all costs, Patients lived in a greater comfort level than any I have previously treated, but they seemed far less equipped to handle suffering and far more traumatized by it. There was one really interesting article I read about a group of Iranian missionaries to the United States. Think about that for a second. They were Iranian missionaries to the United States, and they stayed here for a couple of years, and they decided to go back. And when they asked why, the wife responded with, we feel like the church here is in the midst of a lullaby. They are lulled to sleep by their comfort. And they do not know how to deal with real life because of it. But why are we traumatized by suffering? Why, compared to every other culture? And this is why. Modern American culture has provided you no cultural answers to the question of how we suffer. It's not on the cultural ethos. That's why many of you and your friends are obsessed with this question. You have no answers. The modern American culture doesn't offer you any. But how do other cultures deal with suffering? And let's look at a couple. Here are some cultural answers to suffering. The first one that you see kind of in modern context is the reincarnation cycle. Live a good life. Respond to suffering well and escape the cycle of karma and reincarnation and be liberated to eternal bliss. It's one way that people view suffering. You have the enlightenment view of suffering, recognition of oneness of all things, attain tranquility and unity with the world. Think the force. This is very like Yoda. And then heaven for good works is another idea. Live a life of virtue and honor and go to your loved ones and God in heaven. Those are the three kind of main ideas. In all three of these views, suffering can be seen as an important chapter in the human story. But our modern culture, it's completely different. If we are just matter in motion, if all there is is a material reality, which we talked about in regards to naturalism last week, and no metaphysical reality, then a material life gives you the freedom to choose the life that makes you the most happy. However, in that view of things, suffering has no meaningful part. Nada. Zip. 
what Rogers dream about. It is an interruption of your life story. It cannot be a meaningful part of the story. In this approach to life, suffering should be avoided at almost any cost or minimized to the greatest degree possible. This means that when facing unavoidable and irreducible suffering, secular people must smuggle in resources from one of the other views mentioned and that of the three views mentioned in life. Remember how we talked about culture last year? How we are the most comfortable and catered to culture ever, yet we're the most depressed, drugged, and anxious. We would assume that suffering would create those three things, right? Depression, drugs, and anxiety. But it isn't. It isn't suffering that causes those three things. Depression, drugs, and anxiety are caused by a lack of foundation on how to respond to suffering. Not suffering itself. Most of the most well-put-together people on the planet have gone through more suffering than we wouldn't wish on our worst enemies. Think about that. Some of the most well-put-together people on the planet have gone through some of the worst suffering than we wouldn't wish on our worst enemies. Let's look at these other historical approaches to suffering, and then we're going to compare them to a Christian understanding of suffering. The first one is your first fill-in-the-blank. It is a moralistic view. Moralistic view. M-O-R-A-L-istic. I-S-T-I-C view. One word. This teaches that pain and suffering are the result of not living rightly. Jesus encountered this too. When the tower fell on the people, why did the tower fall and kill all those people? It's because they did something wrong. Okay? So this is, this is the idea of the moralistic view. Honor God, and your life will go well. Honor God, and your life will go well. Bad circumstances should be a wake-up call to change your ways. Many versions, most popular of the moralistic view, is karma. Let's just Karma holds that, that the life you are living now is a result of all your previous lives. So if you are suffering in this life, it's because you, didn't, you did something wrong in a past life. So live rightly in the midst of suffering today, and your next life will be better. And then eventually, in a moralistic view, souls are released to divine bliss when you've atoned for all your sins. Enjoy that search for the rest of your life as you atone for all your sins. And then the next life to come. The next one is the self-transcendent view. Buddhism teaches that suffering comes not from past deeds, but from unfulfilled desires. And those desires are the result of the illusion that we are individual selves. So they believe that it's an illusion that we are individuals, right? Like the ancient Greek Stoics, Buddha taught the solution to suffering isn't the, is the extinguishing of desire through the change of consciousness. We saw some of that at the Beatles event I was at last night. We must detach our hearts from the material things and persons. And Buddhism's goal is to achieve a calmness of the soul in which all desire, individuality, and suffering are dissolved. This is your next fill in the blank. In this worldview, suffering is mitigated because it can't harm the real you. You live on in your children and in your people. Okay? Next one is the fate versus destiny view. 
Fate versus destiny. The fill in the blank is this. Your fate is set by the stars or supernatural forces outside your control. This is much of the Gentile world that Jesus spoke to. It's also a view of Islam. It's that it's Allah's inscrutable will that determines fate. You see this in cultures of northern Europe too, Vikings in particular. Um, in those societies, it was considered the highest virtue to stand one's ground honorably in the face of hopeless odds. That was the most lasting glory possible. And through such behavior, one lived on in song and legend. The greatest heroes of these cultures were strong and beautiful, but sad. And high doom was upon them. Just read a little bit of like Thor lore, Scandinavian cultures, you'll see this. It's really interesting. Submission to the divine fates leads to eternal bliss. You also see this in like the uh, Epic of Hercules. Uh, if any of you read the uh, uh, Percy Jackson series, anybody? The fates, you know, they're cutting the strings, all those things. Very similar. It's very, it's, it's in a lot of those countries. And this is built into a lot of those systems of suffering in Europe. Next is a dualistic view. And this is the battleground between light and darkness. And sufferers are seen as casualties in this war. Sufferers see themselves as victims in the battle with good, oh, sorry, with evil, and are given hope because they are told good will eventually triumph. Here are the similarities between all these things. These are really interesting when you put all these similarities of all these different views all over the world. And I would say that all cultures that have ever lived in the world fall into one of these four views, except for naturalism, which is the modern view of America, and Christianity. So we're going to look at those and compare and contrast in a second. But every other culture falls within these four views. Similarities. Suffering is never a surprise. Next one. Rising above suffering leads to greater purpose in life, whether it's spiritual growth or mastery of oneself or achievement of honor or the promotion of the forces of good. Next, responding well to suffering is what they have the responsibility to do. You see this a lot in um, Eastern cultures. The way you respond to suffering, you have the responsibility to do. Um, you see this also in cultures where um, you have family honor imbued in the culture, right? You dishonor your family if you don't do X. Okay? These are all here. These traditional cultures see life as inevitably filled with suffering, and their prescriptions to their members have to mainly do with their internal work. And lastly, suffering is a challenge which, if met regularly, can bring great good, wisdom, glory, and even sweetness into one's life now, and fit one well for eternal comfort hereafter. All those ideas, try to pay attention, guys. All those ideas work within this system. So let's compare those to Western modern culture. So this is your next fill in the blank. Western science sees the universe as naturalistic. While other cultures see the world as consisting as both matter and spirit, Western thought understands it to be consisting of only material forces, all of which operate devoid of anything that we would call purpose. It lacks purpose. So what does that mean? It's your next fill in the blank. Suffering 
is just bad luck with no purpose. So what does that mean? We are forced to make our own purpose, and in doing so, there is little community, no hope, and there's helplessness. Dr. Paul Brand argues in the last chapter of his book, The Gift of Pain, it is because the meaning of life in the United States is the pursuit of pleasure and personal freedom that suffering is so traumatic for Americans. Our culture's response to suffering, this is interesting, this is really interesting, is to decontextualize it. What do I mean by that? Is that psychologists, this is what they do with suffering. They treat it as an outcome of a choice that you made or someone else made, but not as an actual reality in itself. So we decontextualize it. We're not suffering, we make bad choices. We're not suffering, we have bad luck, and we've responded poorly to it. Right? Older cultures see suffering as an important part of their life stories. Modern society sees it as a hiccup. Because modern society sees suffering as meaningless, its highest goal is to remove it. But this has not led to increased happiness and peace. Why? Because suffering is unavoidable. It's why people turn to addiction, drugs, alcohol, Netflix, Instagram, and anything to remove them from the pain within the moment. Think about it. I'm not going to name names. But the most, like, trying to say this gently, the most, the people who chant the hardest for the biggest causes in America, right? The ones who march on a regular basis and are advocates for change on the internets are typically the most miserable people. Why? Because the suffering that they see is meaningless. To summarize, you live in a culture that's obsessed with finding happiness because in a naturalistic worldview, that's it. If naturalism is true, Get as much of the fleeting happiness as you can, because that's all there is. Momentary happiness that we try to expand to fill our lives. Your cell phone doesn't make this any easier. It actually trains you to look for these things instead, to look for little moments of happiness on your phone, rather than dwell on greater things. Tim Keller says this. It's really interesting. The problem is, is that contemporary people think life is about finding happiness. We decide what conditions will make us happy, and then we work to bring those conditions about. To live for happiness means that you are trying to get something out of life. But when suffering comes along, it takes the conditions for happiness away. And so, suffering destroys all your reason to keep living. This is your next fill in the blank. But to live for meaning means not that you try to get something out of life but rather that life expects something from us. But to live for meaning means not that you try to get something out of life, but rather that life expects something from us. In other words, you have meaning only when there is something in life more important than your own personal freedom and happiness. 
something for which you are glad to sacrifice your happiness for. That's where it comes. And if you try to find it in fleeting pleasures, you will spend your life suffering. And now we get to the main question. Why do Christians suffer? How does the Christian response to suffering compare to other worldviews? German philosopher Max Scheller, in his famous article, The Meaning of Suffering, pointed out the uniqueness of the Christian approach to suffering. Scheller writes that in some ways, Christian teaching on suffering seems a complete reversal of attitude when compared to interpretations of other cultures and religious systems. So what is different about Christianity's suffering compared to everyone else's? Let me give it to you. This is your next fill in the blank. The whole Bible is a story of suffering. The whole Bible is a story of suffering. Think about it. From Genesis 3 to the second to last chapter of Revelation, essentially the whole book is how people respond to suffering. Every page. Unlike facing suffering like heroes in battle, we are encouraged to grieve, for even Jesus did. Unlike Buddhists, we believe suffering is a real thing and not an illusion. We are not, we are not to dim our emotions like Jedi, but to lay our emotions at the feet of Jesus. Unlike believers in karma, Christians believe that suffering is often unjust and disappropriate. Life is simply not fair. People who live well often do not do well. Unlike dualistic and, to some degree, moralistic view, Christianity does not see suffering as a means of working off your sinful debts by virtue of the quality of your endurance of pain. Dualism believes that the world divides the world into good people and evil people, with suffering as a badge of virtue and the mark of moral superiority and warrants the demonization of groups that have mistreated you. Just turn on the news for like 30 minutes. In stark contrast, Christians believe, as Alexander Zelensky wrote famously, that the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. If you didn't see the news this week, you're living under a rock. Um, uh, One article called it The Hug Felt Around the World. Um, There was a trial here in Dallas, if those of you missed it. There was a lady who walked into what she thought was her apartment, saw a man there, killed him, only to realize that it wasn't her apartment. And of course, what made it more interesting was the fact that she was a cop, she was also white, and he was black. So of course, the world is standing on pins and needles, whether justice will be done, whether it was done, that's a different question. But what was amazing to the media this week was the brother of the slain victim getting on the stand after the sentencing and essentially giving her the gospel and saying, my brother would want you to turn to Jesus and then ask the judge to give her a hug, right? And they wept and hugged together in the middle of the courtroom. In one view, the moralistic view, again, wants to divide people between good and evil. And it's just the, you know, if you suffer, then you should wear a badge of victimhood. And the gospel says, 
No, we're all sinners and we need a savior. And that's what empowers a man to sit on a courtroom witness stand and offer freedom, forgiveness, and love to the person who killed their brother in cold blood. Only the gospel does that. No other system of suffering offers that. The Christian idea, this is your next one on the blank, the Christian understanding of suffering is dominated by the idea of grace. In Christ we have received forgiveness, love, and adoption into the family of God. These goods are undeserved. And that frees us from the temptation to feel proud of our suffering. That was a weird statement when I read it. It frees us from the temptation to feel proud about our suffering. And what he's getting at there is that it is only in the midst of suffering that we feel like we have the moral high ground to judge others. You can't judge someone adequately if you are morally inferior to them. So the world looks for ways to be morally superior to one another. And Christ says, y'all are sinners. You're in the same boat. Y'all need Jesus, to quote the t-shirt. Which really should say, I need Jesus too. To surmise, Tim Keller rightly says, it's your next fill in the blank on the back. Ooh, didn't see that coming. <laughs> Some of you did. You like already flipped it over. <laughs> You're new to the game. That's not fair, okay? You have, you have no preconceived notions already built in. Everyone else has been here for six years. They've never done this before. To surmise, Kim Teller, Tim Keller, Kim, Kim Teller, Tim Keller rightly says, Christianity teaches that contrafatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Contra-Buddhism, suffering is real. Contra-Karma, suffering is often unfair. But contra-secularism, suffering is meaningful. There's purpose to it. And if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. Suffering, Buddha says, accept it. Karma says, pay for it. Fatalism says, heroically endure it. Secularism says, avoid it or fix it. From the Christian perspective, all these cultures of suffering have an element of truth. Sufferers do indeed need to stop loving material goods too much. And yes, the Bible says that. In general, suffering filling the world is a result of human race turning from God. And we do need, indeed need to endure suffering and not just let it overthrow us. Secularism is also right to warn us about being too accepting of conditions and factors that harm people and should be changed. Pre-secular cultures often permitted too much passivity in the face of changeable circumstances and injustice. Christianity calls all these perspectives overly simplistic. The redemptive work of Jesus transcends all of that. Because instead of addressing suffering, Christianity will ultimately be the reversal of it. It doesn't just address it. It changes it. It turns the world on its head, and it turns suffering upside down. I love how Tim Keller ends his address of the different views of suffering with this. It's your last fill-in-the-blank. While other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, foreseeing the coming sorrows, Christianity empowers us to sit in the midst of this world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. Romans 8.28 And we know that for those who love God, 
all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose.